0: My name is Kelly Kelly. Welcome to Hand to Holds Beyond the NICU, a podcast dedicated to the family's journey after a NICU stay. I am a NICU parent to Jackson, a micro preemie born at 24 weeks, and Lauren, a late-term preemie born at 34 weeks. I am also the founder and CEO of Hand to Hold, a national nonprofit dedicated to providing education, resources, and peer-to-peer support to families that have experienced premature birth, the loss of a baby, or have a child with a special health care need. The NICU journey doesn't always end after discharge from the hospital. Premature birth impacts families well beyond the NICU. From therapies to feeding challenges to doctor's appointments and managing the rest of your life, having a NICU grad at home can be overwhelming. This podcast is designed for you as a means of support and reminder. That you're not alone wherever you are in your NICU journey. The journey doesn't end when our babies go home from the NICU. Few know this better than Katherine Whitaker. Her fifth son Luke was born premature at 24 weeks and spent 44 days in the NICU. On his ninth day he contracted neck, and while he recovered he had a long road of feeding issues ahead of him. Catherine is here to talk to us today about that journey and her new book that recently came out, Live Big, Love Bigger. Catherine is a Catholic author, blogger, speaker, and freelance graphic designer. A sixth-generation Texan, she was raised as an evangelical Protestant until she met her husband on a blind date at Texas A&M. On the eve of their wedding, Catherine converted to Catholicism and never looked back. Since 2007, with honesty, authenticity, and a healthy dose of sass, Whitaker has shared on her blog what it's like raising a raucous Catholic family, including a preemie, while balancing her freelance graphic design business, her love of the Aggies, keeping her obsession to the container store in check, and stocking the fridge with plenty of Dr. Pepper. Whitaker has contributed to Blessed is She, Take Up and Read, ATX Catholic and Handel holds blog. She has appeared in USA Today, the Sunrise Morning Show, Relevant Radio, and is a regular guest on the Jennifer Fulweiler Show on Sirius XM. Catherine and her husband Scott live with their family in Austin, Texas. Catherine, welcome to Handel holds podcast series. I have known you for many, many years and followed your journey through the NICU with your family, but I am just so excited to share you with our audience today. Thank you for agreeing to be a guest.
1: I am 100% happy to be here.
0: Well, I want to start by having you just share a little bit about your NICU experience. Was it a high-risk pregnancy? Did anything lead you to believe that you were going to be in the NICU with your child?
1: Well, so Luke is our fifth kiddo, so I kind of had the pregnancy thing down pretty good by the time he rolled around. So I felt like everything was fine until we went in for our 20-week ultrasound, and that's when the perinatologist came in and said things look a little concerning. And so at 20 weeks, Luke was not growing very well, and they were throwing around words like echogenic bowel and Chromosomal abnormalities and they weren't sure that he was going to make it to viability at 24 weeks So we were given the option to either keep the baby not keep the baby We obviously chose to keep Luke, but we didn't know what we were keeping We didn't know what we were going to get and so we knew that he had this little funny little kidney It was sitting in his pelvis, but really we just watched and we knew he was little at 36 weeks is when he was born So he was what we would consider a late-term preemie, but he was about the size of a 32-weeker So he was just over three pounds So post-birth, we found out that I had a placental tumor that was basically taking away all of his ability to grow well. And so he was considered what they call IUGR, intrauterine growth restriction. So just wasn't growing well. And then on day nine, after everything, really, he'd been nursing pretty decently. You know, he was little, but he was starting to hit all the milestones, like starting to maintain body weight or uh, birth weight and, you know, not losing weight. And then he got necrotizing enterocolitis. We'll take a deep breath. <laughs>
0: yes, and we've talked about neck on some of our podcasts, but just in case someone new is listening and not familiar with neck, explain just a little bit about what, what is that diagnosis? What does that mean for a baby in the NICU?
1: Well, the doctor probably has an official term for it, but I call it the third ring of hell. Um, <laughs> so essentially it eats away at the bowel, and once the bowel dies, it doesn't come back. So for babies who have a severe case of neck, they start to show signs, you know, he was not breathing well. His respiratory rate was high. Actually, Luke actually stopped breathing. We had to, he coded and we had to resuscitate him. But in, in that case, obviously it became a surgical issue. Sometimes they can treat neck with just bowel rest. So they take them off of oral feeds and just let the bowel rest. And in his case, he needed emergency surgery. So we, after they got him resuscitated and stabilized, then we transported to the Children's Hospital here in Austin And he underwent emergency surgery. So he had about a 2 in 10 chance of surviving the surgery. Luke has always been in the lower, whatever the lowest percentage is of something happening, that's Luke. So I'm grateful that he was in the 20%. So he survived surgery and lost part of his small colon, or smart part of his small bowel, and then later, two weeks later, the neck came back. And in that subsequent surgery, he lost part of his colon. So he doesn't have what we would consider like short gut syndrome. A lot of kids, you know, have feeding difficulties and that sort of thing post-NICU and post neck, But Luke's were manageable, so he had enough bowel to still operate fairly normally. And then it was just like the onslaught. Like, I felt like the longer that we stayed in the NICU, the more bad news we got. We found out he had heart defects and a spinal cord defect and a brain cyst and just all these things, all that affected his major organs, which we really believe, looking back, had to do with his IUGR diagnosis. So it's sort of like... Luke was developing and then bam, hit a speed bump and it affected every major organ. So that landed us with about 15 specialists. And so over the course of three or four years, Luke endured seven surgeries, hundreds and hundreds of hours in therapy, uh, occupational feeding, physical speech, all of it, in addition to all those specialist visits. So. It's been a journey.
0: It has been. And as you mentioned, he was your fifth baby. So there were other children at home. Remind me of their ages when Luke was born.
1: So let me see. So at that time, they were eight, five, four, and 2.
0: 8, and 2, plus a baby in the plus NICU. A NICU baby. And how long was Luke, was Luke in the NICU?
1: So he was in the NICU for 44 days.
0: 44 days you were managing, taking care of four children under the age of 10, plus this very critical baby who is having surgeries. So a lot going on during that time. And I think that's about the time that we were introduced for the first time.
1: I think it was like day 20. We were still in the NICU. So I found out about you from two different people. So I knew I had to call you. One was my nurse, my NICU nurse came in. There was an article in the Statesman, the Austin American Statesman, that was talking about this new nonprofit hand to hold. She said, I think you should read this. And then maybe an hour later, I got a text message from a friend who said, Hey, my neighbor knows Kelly. You should call her. I was like, I get it, Jesus. I will call her. (laughs) And I I remember I was standing in my master bedroom, and I was just, and I made the phone call, and I thought, I'm about to call someone that I have no idea who they are. And we started talking, and Kelly, was the first time that I felt like somebody understood. Sorry.
0: Sure, <laughs> you're supposed to be the one that cries, not me. But that is very meaningful, and that's what Handholds all about is about connecting other families with people who understand, who have walked in their shoes, who can, you know, hold their hand um, throughout that journey. And you know, we don't have the medical background, and we're not there to provide anything other than true understanding and emotional support. Uh, while you're going through that very difficult time. But I'm so glad that we were connected and you have, and your husband, Scott, have been uh, integral in the growth of Hand to Hold, first coming in as families that, a family that we supported and served and then uh, have given back in so many ways. And Scott serving on our board and uh, you supporting us in just many, many ways and mentoring other families. So um, again, it just means so much to have you here and um, be sharing your story today. So you've talked to us a little bit about uh, the complications that he came home with. I remember that um, uh, him having an ostomy bag and you having to to care for him and, you know, we basically become nurses uh, many times when we're bringing home a medically fragile child. So how long was it before he had the surgery to correct?
1: So the reanastomosis, I sound super medical. Yes, you're so smart. I love it when I say stuff like that because doctors always look at me and say, so are you in the medical field? I'm like, yes, I went to (laughs) NICU school. You? Where'd you go? Um, So Luke was about three months old when we did that reconnection. And, you know, he really struggled after that surgery. We were in in the hospital almost 10 days, and it should have only been like three or four. And his kidneys were starting to shut down, and we could not figure it out. So... Let's see, that was one, two. It took us four. So his fourth surgery, which was spine surgery, um, he actually, at at one point, we had his neurosurgeon, the charge nurse, the pediatric um, intensivist, um, our nurse, and the pharmacology. We were all standing in his room like, what? And and his general surgeon. That's a lot of doctors in one room. And we're like, why? What's happening here? And then another specialist rose in, and she said, I think I know what's wrong with Luke. But I'm going to take his chart and a bottle of wine, and I'm going to drink the bottle of wine tonight, look over his chart. I'll come talk to you in the morning because I think I know what it is. And we found out that he had a severe reaction, so we would call it like a hemolytic reaction, so he had a blood allergy to just the standard dosage that they would give him of antibiotics post-surgery to prevent infection. So when they were giving him those antibiotics, it was shutting everything down. So we did, it took us four surgeries and eight or nine specialists to figure that out
0: wow and that is uh, when we talked about you know luke has challenged us in many many ways he's always he that.
1: makes people earn their medical degrees but he
0: certainly does he has not made anything easy but he is uh, also a blessing beyond compare so talk to me a little bit about we you've led us through these surgeries we have found out what was fine you know if we finally find out was causing a lot of these complications um through that process, so then up through, how long was he seeing occupational speech and physical therapists? Because what I remember is a very long, challenging journey with feeding. So, um, and I know there were other things beyond that, but kind of how long did those therapies last and tell us about that feeding journey?
1: So we sort of, I felt like we hit sort of a lull right after he hit about a year. Like, I felt like, okay, take a deep breath. Like, I felt like we dealt with a lot of the critical stuff, the surgeries, for the most part. He had five at that point. The other two we knew were coming, so they were not emergency, but more planned, and we knew what was going to come from that. It wasn't until he was about 15 months old, so he was starting to wean off breastfeeding, and he was starting to, we were trying to transition him to solid food. But we were also trying to give him calories because he was trying to gain weight, And that really, that spiraled, I will say, quickly and out of control as we sort of bumped up his feed. So we started giving him um, extra supplements. We started like pouring things like Duacal, which had a whole lot of calories into his foods. And what that did is it overwhelmed his gut and it caused him to start throwing up. And so then Luke wouldn't eat any food, which was bad, obviously, because we need to eat to grow. And so over the course of the next three years, we were in intense feeding therapy and I will tell you. I mean, it was so intense that his feeding therapist is one of my very best friends. <laughs> that's how. Um, that's how long and intense that process was. It was horrific. Uh-huh. I thought. I thought we might get like. I thought it might take six months. No, no.
0: <laughs> Three years. Three years. I just remember him throwing up daily, multiple oh, times yeah. daily. Every time he would really see food or, you know, anything that he, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, was so that.
1: severe. We, would, we, would, we were sitting at one of our favorite restaurants. Luke was sitting in the high chair, and one of the kids was playing with a sugar packet, so he wasn't even touching it. And the sugar packet spilled on the table about a foot and a half away from him. Luke saw that sugar and threw up. That's how averse he was to textures just that he saw, not even in, in, in addition to the ones, you know, that we would try to put you know, on his tongue or near his mouth. And that's when we knew, I looked at Scott, my husband, and I said, okay, we got to get some help. And I mean, and it was traumatic for all of us, you know, the kids, we joked, so I'm in Texas Aggie, um, maybe you'll appreciate this or maybe not, but, so Texas Longhorns were sort of our nemesis, right? So we had this orange cup sitting next to the, uh, high chair, and every time he would throw up, we would, like, shove the Longhorn cup, and that's what he <laughs>
0: Thanks a lot, Catherine. <laughs> yes, I love you. Despite I felt uh,
1: like that was important to yes, say. Yes,
0: <laughs> despite our uh, our differences in our schooling. Yes, so yes, I remember. Brainwashing
1: there, starts early. I tried. I
0: tried to convert him early on, but you, you just did. would not allow it. You did. But uh, so this went on for three years. He's getting intensive feeding therapy. What what. For those that may not be aware with feeding therapy, what are some of the things that, that you did that you tried in those feeding sessions?
1: Yeah, so I thought when we walked into feeding therapy that we'd start with food. And we actually, food didn't come up actually for a long time. We were getting Luke used to textures. So one of the things that we would do is his feeding therapist would take just a, a bin of beans. So we were trying to figure out like at what, what size and what textures were, were sort of the trigger. And where do we need to start? Like, what was his baseline? And so she hid, partially hid, like, little trucks and cars in the beans. And so we were trying to get Luke, since that was his favorite thing, to reach into the beans to pull the cars out. And then he threw up. We're like, all right, so we need to go bigger. So then we went to the ball pit. And he would stand outside the ball pit. And he would just, like, reach. You know, these balls are, like, you know, miniature little balls. And he would sort of get close to them and then as we would start to make progress in therapy maybe he'd put his hands in the balls or maybe he'd sit on the edge and put his feet in there so we really started with just being able to just touch different textures and then we would do things with suckers like lick the sucker and we would make funny like rabbit and ribbit noises and all sorts of things like that so a lot it took us a long time even to just get to food and then we found out that Luke like really crunchy like he loved um Uh, Oh, my gosh. Pork rinds. Really? Pork Pork rinds. But they're crunchy, and they're like a really fun texture. Mm -hmm. And so then we try, you know, so literally our therapist would go to the grocery store to HEB, and she would just come back with, you know, the treasure trove of food, and we would just start trying. Does this work? Does that work? And we were trying to find foods that had calories and that could he tolerate with texture. And then once we figured out what textures worked and didn't work, then it was this fact finding mission until we figured out what worked and it was slow and painful and it was it was hard it was it, in fact i would equate it with being just as hard as the nicu
0: i would agree just knowing you and walking through that just from afar Of all the stress that you were under and and how difficult that was to manage and you're managing again for other children at the same time And every dinner he's throwing up and yeah
1: I mean we eat three times a day so it was stressful
0: yes constantly and just the constant worry that he wasn't growing and how was he gonna get his supplement and um, uh, you know feeding is a, a big part of our everyday life so I remember just how difficult that was so How old is Luke today, and what's his favorite food?
1: So Luke will be 10 in September. His favorite foods are steak and mashed potatoes.
0: Fantastic.
1: (laughs) And that is an answer to prayer, because I remember sitting in therapy. We were, like, maybe a year in, and I looked at his therapist, Lori, and I said, Is he ever going to eat a hamburger? And she said, Someday. And so three years later, we're sitting at a burger place here in Austin, and I texted her a picture, and I'm just like... I'm sure all the people at the place were like, why is she crying? And I mean, just Kelly, it was the ugly cry because Luke was sitting there and he ate the whole hamburger. I've never been happier.
0: I understand. <laughs> I do. And I know every other Nikki mom who has dealt with anything like this completely understands. We worked hard for that hamburger. <laughs> you worked so hard. I remember, you know, equating that to physical therapy and occupational therapy and so many of the things we worked so hard uh, for Jackson to be able to do and I remember being so concerned about him being able to use a fork and the pediatrician telling me Kelly he will use a fork when he goes to college he may choose not to which he
1: is going to college <laughs> he's <now>. about <laughs> to go
0: to college but they said you know he may not he may choose not to but he will know how and be able to and it's just us having you know the the struggle going through it and and watching them struggle and I think that there's, you know, a mama guilt in there, too, of us not being able to carry on to term. And, uh, you know, part of it, even though we know it's not our fault, um, it's so hard to see our children struggle. And we just so much want to fight all those battles for them and how difficult it is. And, you know, I remember, too, uh, you are a master at keeping everything organized. I mean, you already, you already are the queen of organization, but I don't know any other Nikki mom who Uh, has the organizational skills that you have had uh, and also I would say the negotiation skills that you have had uh, with all of your insurance and medical providers and how you kept all that structure because as you named off earlier, you were seeing many, many specialists at the same time, lots of doctor's appointments and lots of bills uh, going along with all of that. So any words of wisdom to some parents who are in the thick of that right now?
1: Um, if you can take somebody with you to those appointments, it helps to have a second set of ears because maybe sometimes you may miss something that the doctor says that the other person heard. And so sometimes um, a lot of times Scott and I would try to do it together. If I couldn't have somebody with me, then I always took notes. I, I like had my list of questions because you think, oh, I'll remember that answer. Or, I'll remember what they said. And then something happens and you can't remember. So I kept notes and I would do the same thing when I talked to the insurance. Like, who did I talk to? When did we talk and what did we talk about? because inevitably when I would call back either to the specialist or the insurance company, they would ask me, well, who did you talk to? And I would be able to tell them, so they, I, they must have had me flagged as like, <laughs> this is the mom that asked all the questions, so please be honest with her. But it definitely helped when it came time for like appeals or when we needed to do something with the doctor and I would say, but you told us this or you know, you, you had us go down this course of action and it was the only thing, Kelly, that I could control. I couldn't control how Luke was going to react. I couldn't control the path, but I could control what information we had. And so I became the master of collecting as much information as I could so that every time that we had to make a new decision or go down a new path that I felt like we were as informed as we could be and that we could walk that path with confidence because so much was out of my control. And as a top A person who really prefers control, it was hard for me to let let go of my death grip of um
0: so that's where you found your balance of what you could control and uh truly i i know without a doubt that that is why luke has uh overcome so much and been so successful and is so healthy today because of your ability and scott's as well to advocate for him and make sure he went to every follow-up appointment got every therapy appointment he could have and just battled with those insurance providers to make sure that um, the funding was there for all of his procedures. So I'm so glad to know that he's doing well. So yes, doing he's he's ten, and that means he just completed what grade?
1: Third grade. So he'll be going into fourth grade. He is tenacious, and he's a stinker. He's still little. I don't know how if he'll always be a little smaller than the big brothers who are now six foot and change. But um, he's here. That's what matters.
0: That's exactly right. And, and doing phenomenally in school. And as long
1: as he can remember to turn in his own work.
0: That's well. <laughs> and, and that may yeah. or may not have anything to do with his Nikki journey. Yeah. But I, t- I celebrate that with you. So you have a kid that just graduated from high school as yes. well and is heading off to Texas A&M. I do. And then uh, tell me a little bit about we've had an addition to the family since Luke.
1: Yes. So we had four years after Luke was born, we had baby number six. We called um, her the gift that God gave us that we didn't know. You know, we say that she healed us in ways we didn't know we needed to be healed in. Her birth experience obviously was vastly different than his. But with hers, I actually chose to birth naturally. So with no drugs, I had never done that before. So... It was an incredibly healing experience to have her she's a total ray of sunshine and she and Luke are pretty good buddies
0: and she is adorable and she, she is pretty
1: cute she just
0: finished preschool is pre-school. That right? pre-school. she starts School. kindergarten she is going to I'm kindergarten. launching everybody all right They're Every, all going. lots yeah. of major milestones happening right now so a mom of six yes and just wrote a book so yes, I, in my spare
1: time,
0: I am so excited for you to share about this amazing book. I have gotten to take a sneak peek, and I was so honored that you shared it with me. And uh, it's it's written very uniquely. Of course, it's in Catherine speak, so A.K.A. Uh, sassy, sassy <laughs> and Texan, and your faith shines through throughout the book. But um, it's not structured like any other book I've ever written. So, talk to me a little bit about first of all the journey of deciding to write this book and then why you chose to structure it the way that you did
1: sure well I've always loved to write that's always been sort of my outlet and I was blogging when Luke was born so it's kind of chronicling some of that kind of stuff it was super cathartic for me but I think along the way Kelly I always thought well maybe I'll write a book and I think for a long time I wanted it for the wrong reasons I wanted to write it for me And about uh, two years ago or so, I finally, for lack of a better word, I sort of shelved it. I said, I'm going to put it on the back burner. I want it for the wrong reasons. And then about six months later, a couple of publishers reached out and said, hey, have you ever thought about this? And I put it to prayer and realized that, you know, now I wanted it for the right reasons. I wanted to share the story, not for me, but to help other people. So, um... I wrote the book. It's called Live Big, Love Bigger, and then the tagline is Getting Real with Barbecue, Sweet Tea, and a Whole Lot of Jesus, and yes, I talk about all those things in there, but each chapter has a universal theme, so it might be body image, or it might be authentic friendships, or marriage, or family vacation. so I wrote it with, I have a wide variety of friends from a lot of different backgrounds, faith-wise, you know, geography-wise, that sort of thing, and I just wanted... To envision them sitting at my dining room table and what would I say to them. So each chapter sort of talks a little bit about what my viewpoint was on that particular topic pre-Luke. Like what, you know, how did I grow up? And then Luke happens and then what does, what does that mean now? And so it was 10 years in the making. You know, it's not like he was born and then all of a sudden we were just awesome people. (laughs) It's taken a while to kind of transform and to realize where your struggles are and how you need to change. And so I loved writing it that way because it gave me a chance to reflect on the foundation that I had growing up, whether that was positive or negative, but how it shaped me and then how Luke transformed us and what came out of that. So I am sassy in there. I talk about our barbecue pilgrimage around the state of Texas, which was super fun. It was 2000 miles and a lot of barbecue and sweet tea. And it was super fun to write. There were some chapters that were really hard to write just because I put a lot of my heart. In there,
0: yes. Prayed it, about
1: what to put in there, but
0: it, I mean, it is definitely raw in many places. You were—I love that you were just um, so transparent and honest of you know what you were thinking and feeling and the struggles, and uh, you—you don't—it's not glossy and and perfect, and uh, you're t- you're really talking about the mess um, that you had to go through. And so, tell me a little bit about, or tell our audience a little bit about how you feel. You have been transformed since uh, Luke's birth and the Nikki journey and all that came after. I want people to read the book, so you don't have to share all, but a little bit about that transformation.
1: The one thing that I share in the introduction, which I think is worth repeating for people that haven't read the book yet, is I really felt like I had checked all the boxes, like I had done all the things that I needed to do, and then we got this massive hit, you know, to the heart and the soul, and all of us have something that we're carrying you know you and I have had NICU babies Um, other people have other things and no one's exempt from that and I think the book helped um, It helps at least people show shows people that you don't have to have a perfect life everyone has a mess in their life and that you're still able to redeem it through that and for me writing it was it was really beautiful to see how much I've been transformed I think I think I thought life had to be a certain way, Kelly. And after we had Luke, I realized about 99% of my life is out of my control. But it's the 1% of how I react to that change and that, you know, opportunity to grow that really matters. And I think we reframed our life with intention. I think I talk about living a hell yes kind of life in there. That we, I had this really polite relationship with Jesus and I was like, yes, sir, no, sir. But it wasn't real. And Luke forced it to be real because I finally told Jesus how I felt about him. And there were some moments that I'm sure he was like, well, I'm glad we finally got that out of the way, you know, but I needed to be honest. And not only did I need to be honest in my faith life, but I needed to be honest in my role as a wife and as a mother and as a friend and as a family member. And Luke, for I mean, like he forced our hands. You know, are you going to live a real and authentic life or are you going to live like a pottery barn, restoration, hardware, kind of glossy life? Now, which one do you want? And... I'm grateful that we learned to live a life with intention. It means that we say no to some things that are really good things to say no to. But I'd rather it be a hell yes than just a polite yes. I want it to be something that I'm really passionate about. And so that's reframed our family in almost every way of living it with purpose and intention and that's what I want people I don't want people to skate through life Kelly thinking that it's okay like why would you live an okay life like live a hell yes kind of life and that's what the whole book is about is encouraging people to do that and I've got some I've got some work to do I'm not there yet but I'm on my way
0: i love it so much and i'm just so proud of you and uh it really i did feel like you know i've known you for a long time now and i know a lot about your family but it just really you've just let let us in at a really deep level and i think uh for other NICU families either in the NICU or outside the NICU um for them to see and walk that journey of you know you you talk openly about the struggles in your marriage during during and after that nikki stay and that is so real and and it's not something that i think outsiders would have uh, thought knowing you and knowing scott and and uh, you know just knowing how strong your faith is and how strong your relationship is and all that we see from the outside and so that you were willing to let us in and, and see just you know n- none of us uh can can really escape um the tr- the trauma and how it impacts our lives in so many ways and so i just I so appreciate your raw honesty around all of that and i have no doubt it's going to help so many families families that have had a NICU experience but just any family because like you said it it's not just the NICU we're all carrying and burdens and things that we have to work through and and i love so much like you said that it wasn't until you decided i'm going to write it from the perspective of i want to help Others and um, I, I truly believe that this book is going to be transformational for a lot of families. So, um, I my last question to you was going to be, what advice do you have for other families that are, are in the NICU now or uh, just starting their journey home? Can you can you kind of reiterate what you were talking about? Yes, I think it has a lot to do with a hell yes life, <laughs> but how do you do that when you're in the NICU?
1: The best advice that I got in the NICU, and I think it's applicable to a lot of areas of life, but don't look too far down the path. I know people say you should set goals, and you should, and you should live life with intention, and yes, all of that. But also, as my good friend Darcy says, you have to be where your feet are. And I wish that I had tried, I wish I had stopped trying to look six months down the road or a year down the road. And uh, a friend of mine always says, stop living in the wreckage of the future. You have to live in your present. So if right now you have 10 specialists and a toddler screaming at home and you're stressed out, then stay there for a second. Don't try to figure out, well, how am I going to manage the stress and all that six months from now? Because girlfriend in six months life is going to look very different. So I think that. If you need help in that moment, if you need neighbors to come mow your yard, if you need play dates for your kids, if you need to get your butt to therapy, if you need to talk to somebody that's been where you are, like do what you need to do to survive that day, that week, focus on that, and eventually you'll move out of mission critical phase. It won't, it won't, you won't be hyper critical permanently, and so then you'll, you'll, you'll start to navigate and start to figure out your new normal, and then you'll move to the next thing. So, I think my advice would be to just stay present and how you can help your child in that moment or in that week. What phone call can you make? Uh, What hour of sleep can you get? And just do that. Because I know it doesn't feel like you're doing the things, but you're taking care of what you need to take care of in that moment. And the future will take care of itself, I think is what I would tell myself 10 years ago.
0: 10 years ago. Well, thank you. 10 years ago. (laughs) How, How can that be? But I am just so proud of you. I'm so grateful that you have taken this time to write this book and I so appreciate that you shared it with me and that you're allowing us to talk about it today live big love big live big love love bigger get real with barbecue sweet tea and a whole lot of Jesus you got it thank you for being a guest today Catherine it was so great to see you and I'm so proud of Luke and I celebrate with you all, all that he has accomplished and all, all the wonderful milestones that y'all are celebrating right now in your family. It was awesome to be here. Thank you. If you are a NICU parent and need a support or are interested in becoming a mentor, please visit our website at handahold.org. There you will find information about our peer mentor program, blog posts, as well as information about a Beyond the NICU support group. You are not alone. For more information or to speak to a Handahold staff member, contact Handahold at info at